0: Good morning, we can talk, we can't sing but we can talk church, we can clap, we can make a noise, it doesn't diminish because we can't sing in the building who God is, we can still worship him and adore him with our hearts and who he is and thank him and you know so let's not get caught up and we can't sing in the building. Those online, you can sing your heart out and annoy everybody in the room and do what you need to do even more than what we can do so. Hey, how are we doing? Are we Okay. I had a good week, okay week, bad week. You're here, you're alive. You're still here, you're still going for it. This morning, Sarah said I want to start a series this month on uh, unity, the importance of unity. We said at the beginning of the year the importance, you know, to stand together. You know, it's 2021. You know, God is a God of unity, is he not? God is a God of unity. He doesn't work separately. He works together as one, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. It, it, the, the, as a theologian, if you study it, you'll find that God is one. He's not separate. And we, if you're a believer at the body of Christ, you become one with Christ. How good is that? The Bible teaches us that you are one with Christ through faith, not works. By faith and faith alone, you become one with Christ. How good is that? You're not separate from Christ. You're one with Christ. Now, if anybody's been around long enough, you'll know that life isn't always easy. Life isn't always unky-dory, is it not? Are there any married people in here? You had an expectation what that marriage was going to be like, and it didn't live up to it. Sorry, I'm just going to be real. Is that okay? You thought they were this, but they're actually behind the veil there was something else. Or you had a friendship, and you had an expectation what they were like, and all of a sudden there was a disappointment because it wasn't really who you thought they were. That's really who they were. You see, relationships aren't always easy, but we're called to be in unity together. So I want to share some thoughts on, you know, unity this morning, because I think it's really important. Psalm 133 says, where brothers and sisters dwell together, that means do life together, where they hang out, learn to relate and walk together in unity, God commands the blessing So if you want to understand God even more, then learn to relate in a way that God wants you to relate. Because as you do that, you'll discover God more in you and through you. That's what God calls us to do. So there's power in unity. You get a sense there's a unity in this church this morning. You know, you might be listening online and think, I'm not there this morning. You're there this morning. You're listening, you're a part through faith, you're listening to the words, you're listening to me, you're a part of the church this morning, even though you're not in the building. You may be listening from Canada or the US, still a part of the church if you're living by faith and believing what Jesus has done for you. But it takes work to relate. It doesn't just happen. Now you may be in a relationship where you're just kind of, you know, you're in the what feels like the honeymoon period you might not be married but you or you've just found a relationship and it's wonderful and everything's going amazing but I'll guarantee there'll be challenges along the way there'll be a cost that you have to pay there'll be sacrifices that you have to pay there is a commitment that you'll have to go again when you don't feel like going again is that all right is that okay because there's a cost to it there's a sacrifice if we want intimacy intimacy if you want deeper intimacy, there is a sacrifice, there is a cost. But ultimately, first of all, it takes commitment. Do you think we should all be committed this morning? Do you think all the world should be committed? It's a God-given quality of commitment, dedication, devoted. And we we are always, we say one thing, then we do another. You'll say that you'll put the bins out and then you forget. It's an ongoing thing with me. Actually, I'm getting, And what would you say? Nine and a half out of ten, I've gone from a seven five years ago to nine and a half putting the bin out, I remember. I'll say I'll do it, but I don't always. But if we commit, if we commit and then we follow through on it, it helps us develop relationships. You may, you may be married and you made a commitment 10, 20, 30, 40 years ago, I don't know how many. You might have done it 12 months ago. You may have family that you're committed to. You might not always feel like it, but you're committed to them. Was that just my family? Anybody have problems in their families? Awkward people. And that's just me. You know, there's there's a lot more in my family. But you make a commitment, there's a commitment in family that you stick together. Or there's a commitment at work. You're committed. You feel that you're called to do something. There's a commitment to a job. You'll say that you'll do the job and you'll do it. Or there's commitment to God. You make a decision at some point. I did mine 19 years ago. I made a commitment to God 19 years ago and I followed through on that and it, you know, I didn't quite understand it at the time but many of you make a commitment to God. You make a commitment to one another, the church and that takes cost, sacrifice again. Or you have friends, friends that you're committed to. I choose to commit to my friends and, and, and there's a cost to it to relate and if you want deeper intimacy. Now many of us At some point when we've gone to make commitments, you'll probably find that you're a bit unsure about making a commitment. Has anybody ever felt like that? When you chose the one, is this the one I should commit to? Should I really commit to this friendship? Should I commit to this job? And sometimes we struggle to commit because of a few reasons. Number one, because we lose a bit of freedom. I'm going to lose some of my freedom if I commit to this. And my choice is now limited if I commit to this person. Or you lose some of your individualism. No, I just want to do what I want to do when I want to do it. That's my choice, my life. Well, if you make a commitment to something, then you're going to lose some individualism. Not your personality, not who you are, but you're going to lose some things of you, your life if you make a commitment to it. So there's a freedom that you lose. There's an individualism that you lose, and there's a control that you lose. Are you still with me this morning? And you think, wow, who would want to commit if I'm going to lose some freedom, I'm going to lose some of my individualism, and I'm going to lose control of things. Why would I want to commit when I can just be free, do what I want when I want? What's the desire? Why would I want to commit if I can stay over here uncommitted? And I want to share something with you. Is this, there is something deeper that you experience when you commit. Does that make sense? But only those who commit experience what they experience, those who don't commit never experience it. They only live on a certain level. They think they've got their freedom. They think they have control. They think they have their individualism. They've got their life together. But they never experience the deeper intimacy that you get in commitments. Are you hearing me? You know, these over this side, you think they've got it all together and they're living in this world where they think they don't have to be committed. They're free. But actually, it's not biblical. It's not who God is. It's not how we're designed. We're designed to commit. We're designed to promise. We're designed to come through on our commitments, to be faithful. It's who God is, and it's who God calls us to be. Those who don't commit, I would say they're pretty coward. They're a coward. I'm going to be honest with you. Now, we've all come to those points where, do I really want to commit? Can I commit? I'm scared to commit, because I'm going to have to give some things up. But I want to encourage you this. As you make your commitment... I'll guarantee if you make a commitment, you then follow through on what you believe and you honor your commitments, you will see what you believed for begin to happen. But if you never commit, when you commit, this is what happens. You say, I'm committed to this thing. This is what happens. Faith is received. I I, I want to get married, but I'm not going to commit yet. Can I, can I just have some sexual intimacy with you but not this is what happens faith is received you believe what you're going to see now if you never honor that commitment you'll never see what faith is released but if you honor your commitment and stay faithful and do what you say you're going to do you will see faith confirmed are you with me this morning So this is the power of faith. This is the power of commitment. You'll begin to see what you said or believed for. And then this is what happens. You experience deeper intimacy. You go deeper with the individual because they begin to trust you. You become more secure in yourself. There is a deeper intimacy now because you've committed. You've done what you said you're going to do. You've honored it. And now you'll experience deeper intimacy. It's the same with God. If you don't commit to God, you'll, never, you'll say, oh, I've never experienced God. You won't if you don't commit. It, it won't happen. But if you say, I am committed, uh, and then you honor that commitment and say, God, I'm going to seek you. I want to know about you. I'm going to do what you say. I want to develop a relationship. When you do that, you'll begin to confirm the faith that you had, that has been given to you by God. And you'll begin to see and experience God in your life. But if you never commit and you never honor that commitment, you'll never see it happen. Are you still with me? That's the power of commitment. But we have to give these things up in order to gain something that's even better. I'm going to look at Song of Solomon in a minute. Song of Solomon, uh, verse 1. I haven't got these up here. It says this. Song of Solomon is a a poem that was written. They believe it was written by Solomon. It's called Song of Solomon. Sometimes it's called Song of Songs because Solomon apparently wrote 1,005 songs. There's pretty few songs, that is. Any musicians in here? That's a few songs to write, right? He wrote many other things, but apparently wrote 1005. Apparently, this was the song of all songs. This is the creme de la creme. This is the best song or the best poem that he ever written. They reckon this is one of the best pieces of writing ever written. Ever written. This is pretty good to listen to, yeah? So he says this to start off. He says, Let me kiss me, let him kiss me with the kisses of his mouth, for your love is better than wine. Should we get a bit intimate this morning? Maybe the kids need to go out. If you're under 18, sorry, this may be a little bit much for you. Maybe should I'll turn it into a PG rather than a 15. Your love is better than wine. What is he saying? He's saying this. My love is deeper than some other things that you can have. My love is like nothing you'll ever experience in life. So, what is this intimacy? What is intimacy? Do can we all have intimacy? I believe the Bible teaches that we all long for intimacy. We all have a desire and a deep longing for intimacy. So, what is intimacy? If you were to tell me what is intimate, can I be intimate if I'm not married? Can I have deep intimacy if I'm not if I haven't got a job and I'm I'm jobless? Can can I can I have deep intimacy? What is intimacy? Dallas Willard says this, intimacy is shared experience. So you don't have to be married to have deep intimacy. You can all have deep intimacy if you learn to share life. Life is to be shared, right? Life is an experience, would you agree? How many of us struggled in lockdown with not having the experiences we normally have? Is anybody else? How many is ready for the experiences now we're getting let out? How many want to go on holiday and get them selfies? Look where I am. Who's ready to go? Why? Because life is about experience. We're experiential people. We have senses. We have feelings. We have taste. And we can't go to a restaurant. I'm not going to say I'm having to eat my wife's cooking for that. I shouldn't say that. Right? I'm only kidding. She cooks beautifully. She did a lovely sweet and sour last night. But that was a joke about... Uh, cooking but we all want these experiences don't we right we're experiential people but we're more than experiential people we're experiential people that want to share you say do we do I don't want to share I'm I'm quite a personal person look at the world how many selfies are there it's not for themselves selfies aren't for selves selfies are for everybody else Facebook, look at my garden I've just built. Not really bothered about your garden. Look at my new dog. It's not about you. It's about your desire to share what's going on in your life. Why? Because you desire intimacy. You desire this deep, long thing to people to share their things with you and you to share life with them. Ask Facebook, ask Twitter, ask Instagram, ask Snapchat, ask TikTok and every other thing that's on social media. Why? Because they know there's a deep down desire in each one of you to share life together. Are you still with me? Romans 12 verse 15 says this. Paul, summing it up. The golden rule of life. The golden rule of life. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Share. And that sounds easy, doesn't it? Until somebody's got the car that you want, but you can't have it. Well, the holiday or the relationship, and, the, and I can't quite get it yet. Rejoice with those who rejoice who are doing well. What is that? Shared experience. Shared intimacy. I love the church. I love my spouse. I love my neighbor. I love my friend. I love my enemy. Why? I rejoice when they are rejoicing. Do we really rejoice when other people rejoice? I have to admit at times I have issues going on, and we'll look at that in a minute. And then he says, mourn with those who mourn. Shared experience. You know, this last 12 months, how many people we've seen suffering? Right now we see in India people suffering see people on the news watching interview this week with somebody from a country i don't want to name them but they asked about if they're going to be sending things out to india their response was first look after their own country and i agree to a point there is balance to make sure things in their country but what about india do we mourn with those who mourn or do we just say as long as my individualism is okay i'm okay do you see what i'm saying but it's shared experience. If we commit and we go after and we do something about it, we'll experience something deeper that we wouldn't experience back here. That's why Jesus Christ, he had a depth to him. He saw suffering. It said from from his belly, he had compassion on them. So he did something because he shared in their mourning. He wasn't detached from it. He was willing to surrender his, you know, day because he was fixed on what god wanted him to do on that day why shared experience intimacy but sometimes we struggle because we don't we've got to make sure we're okay and yes we have to a point but there's more to life if we want to experience deeper intimacy if we want to experience god on a deeper level we have to let go of some things and we think we're losing things but we gain so much more in god we experience so much more of Jesus and the depth of his love and his compassion over here than we did over there. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Mourn with those who mourn. So how do I get this, Paul? But how do we actually work on this? I want to read Song of Solomon verse, chapter 4, verse 4. It says this. And, and can I just say, lads, girls... This isn't really a great chat-up line to go up to someone and say, right? These, these are people that are married. So you can try this and let me know if it works, but I don't think it will. Your lips, babe, are like a... doesn't say babe. Your lips are like a strand of scarlet and your mouth is lovely. Ben's laughing. Do you not use that one with Steph? Darling, your mouth's lovely. Your temples behind the veil are like a piece of pomegranate. Boys, don't try that one. Right? This is for a married couple. Now, I know the context and the language of here would have been different than what we use today. But the point is this. I want to say this to you. How do we work on our oneness? How do we work on unity in our relationships? My first point is this, right? Learn to speak the love language. These are a married couple, right? They're newly married, they're intimate. But we've all got a language we speak, and we have a choice what we speak. Is our language love? Is our language one that builds up? Is it all one that tears down? Because if it tears down, the relationship is going to break down, the communication is going to break down. You know, Song of Solomon, it's all about communication. My beloved, where are you? Arise and come to me. It's all about communication, talking, talking. And it goes further than talking. But we'll stay on the talking this morning. It's PG, right? Maybe you're here and you, you listen and you think, my marriage isn't really working, and it's not it's gone a bit cold. Or maybe you need some heat in the fire. Are you with me? You don't need more cold on your marriage. You need a hot shower, baby. You need to. You need to do something that's going to build your lover up. You need to do something that's going to make them feel the warmth and the love. And it starts with a love language. It doesn't start with the intimacy. It starts with the right language. It, it starts with the shared experience. Do they feel loved? Do they feel listened to? Do, they, do you rejoice with them when they're rejoicing? Do you mourn with them when they're mourning? Do they feel felt? Do they feel that you experience the things that they're experiencing in the day? It's, it starts when the kids come home from school and say, this is how my da- day's been, and you listen to them. And she comes home, or he comes home, or your friend talks to you because they're having a bad day. Why? Because life is shared experience. Intimacy is shared experience. It's not just about you talking. It's about being heard. You, is this making sense? So to work on oneness, you've got to learn to speak the love language. Words that affirm one another words that build one another up because what that does is then it makes the other one feel secure in the relationship this person only says good things about me and builds me up now some days we get it wrong what do we do we say sorry and we go again but we're here to build the other person the friend up the boss up the boss is probably having enough people knocking him down what they need is someone goes in there and builds them up. Share their experience about how they're feeling. They're probably going through more things than you're going through. Shared experience. It's a two-way thing, but learn to speak the love language. Now, I know there's a book out there you know, called The Love Languages, and if you've never read it, I'd recommend, because we're all different and we all communicate in different ways. But what I'm talking about today is this, is what we speak, the power of our words to build one another up. If we're going to walk and be at one, we've got to speak the language of love that builds up. Paul says, rejoice with those who rejoice. The second point is is this, excuse me, is move from a mindset of me to one of our. I'll say that again. Move from a mindset of me to one of our. So. Song of Solomon 1, verse 16 to 17 says this. So they're doing their building up their language, their love language. You ready? It says, behold, you are handsome. That's pretty good language, isn't it? You are handsome, my beloved. Yes, pleasant. In other words, they like them. They're speaking the positive words and affirmation. But then it says this. Also, our bed is green. The beams of our house are cedar and our rafters are fur. In other words, it's not my house anymore. It's not my individualism. It's not my control. It's not mine. It's moved from me to our house. Do you see the difference? It's not your job. It's our job. It's not your problem. It's our problem. It's not your church. It's our church. He's not your God. He's our God. It's not your problem because your morning, your morning is my morning. It's not your celebration. I celebrate because you celebrate. It's ours. You see the difference? That's the difference to move from the me individualistic lifestyle into an ownership of our. Ask Jesus. Your father in heaven, our father in heaven. My father in heaven? No, our father in heaven. It's our cedars. It's our rafters. It's ours, this is. We own this church. You know, this stage, whose is it? You got it. I didn't pay for it. We may have vision and move forward as a leadership, but it's not me doing this, it's us doing this. Whose city is this? You got it, it's our city. Whose litter is it outside? (laughs) You're right. You're right, Elijah, it's theirs, but what are we going to do about it? Pick it up. Why? Because it's our city. I did something the other week, you know, I I started to meditate on this thing and I felt really challenged. When I take the dog a walk, dogs do stuff on the floor, right? And what do you do? You pick it up because it's my dog, it's our dog, right? But then I noticed other people's stuff on the floor that dogs had left, And I've got a spare bag in my pocket. What do I do? Leave it there, Elijah says. No, 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 it's my street. It's our streets. Did I want to do it? No. But I picked it up. Why? Because it's our streets. It's our city. My problem or their problem? You know, I, I love Genesis where Cain and Abel, right? Cain kills Abel. God comes to him. Where is he? He says, I'm not my brother's keeper. Not my problem. Do you see what I'm saying? He's your brother. You just murdered your brother and it's not your problem. He's your brother. He's your own flesh and blood. Individualistic lifestyle. Pride. Me. My. What about me? God's shifting us from that. That's not who God is. Did God look at the world and say, that's their problem? No. He says, their problem is my problem. I'm coming, deal with them. Some of you are clapping. Song of Solomon 2 verse 15 says this. Catch us, the foxes. The little foxes that spoil the vine. This love story, if you read it, it's, you know it's kind of this poem. It's all about love and they're really happy and everything's going wild. Well. But right in there, there's this little verse. Catch us, the foxes, the little foxes that spoil the vines. For our, there you go, our vines, your vine, my vine? No, our vines have tender grapes. I I began to think about this. I thought, would I be bothered if a fox came in my back garden? I'd be like, oh, look, there's a fox. Luke, girls, girls, Sarah, come, Luke, there's a fox in the back garden. Now, if there was an elephant in the back garden, I might have a different issue. Because I'd be like, Luke, there's an elephant. It's going to knock the house over. It's going to destroy everything. Me new lawn. Me new lawn. I only put it down a month ago. Me gazebo. Me, Me hot tub. Flipping elephants in me hot tub. You'd be like, hey, in a minute. Boom, feet breaks. You'd be like, elephants just destroyed. You wouldn't want an elephant in your back garden, would you? You wouldn't. But if a little fox come in, you'd be like, oh, little fox. You see, this is, these aren't big things, but they cause disaster. This isn't adultery. This isn't fornication. This isn't drunkenness. These aren't things you see and think there's a problem here that's destroying my back garden. These are little things that get in there that you don't see. They're hidden and they happen in here. So what are they? 2 Timothy 3 verse 2 says this, men will become lovers of their own. What's the issue? The issue is this, individualism, me, Pride if you want you you want you want to be depressed it's simple think about yourself you want to be depressed even more talk about yourself do whatever you want it'll depress you i've been in cycles of that going like that in other words it's actually getting rid of the me first attitude because that's what creeps in Nobody noticed me. Nobody speak to me at church. Nobody bothered with me. No, 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 nobody celebrated what I was doing. No, no, nobody's doing, what, what about me? What about my life? What, what, what's all about me? 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 I don't know why I'm skipping. Do you see what I'm saying? And that doesn't happen publicly like a big elephant. Look, there's an elephant in the room over there. Everybody can see it happening, but it's happening in here. And then all of a sudden, what happens is it begins to nurture and destroy the root and the fruit in here, the goodness. And all of a sudden, it's happening behind you. And all of a sudden, you just, boom, you you pull away from the relationship because you can't cope. You're just gone. Like, where have they gone? It was happening in here, little foxes. They came in and started to eat the fruit away, the good things. See, I've done good things in my life, and nobody's celebrating me. Nobody's noticed what I've done. I've got fruit. Look at it. Why? Because the me creeps in there. See what's happening to you? Nobody notices Nobody bothers with you. Nobody loves you. Nobody's kind to you. Do you see what I'm saying? It's the little foxes that want to get in here. So how do we destroy the little foxes? Well, we're aware of it. We bring it out into the light. You cannot destroy the little foxes. Have you ever tried to catch a fox? Any fox catches in here? Yeah? I haven't. I would imagine a pretty hard catch on your own. But if you work together, it's better. The point is this, these foxes aren't meant to be caught alone. It says this, catch us the foxes. Not me catch the foxes. Us catch the foxes. It's a team effort. You have to talk about how you feel. You have to bring it out. You have to confess your sin. You have to forgive people. It doesn't happen individualistic. It only happens as a body. It only happens as a team effort. It, God wants you to work together. He doesn't want you to run away. He doesn't want you to hide because of the little foxes and be intimidated by him. He says, bring them out because they'll destroy your roots. You need to forgive. You need to let go. You need. You, you, God wants you to. to to commit to Him and have deep relationships, but you're going to have to deal with these little things that get in there. These little foxes. How does this happen? How do we get rid of these little foxes that keep nibbling away at me? And Jesus says this in Matthew sixteen twenty four, and Jesus says to His disciples, "Whoever wants to be My disciple must deny themselves." And take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it before whoever loses life for me will find it. In other words, what Jesus is saying is this. Making life all about you won't work. But when you let go of that pride and you consider others like Jesus considered you, what you'll experience is you'll, you'll let go and lose control of the life that you thought was great and you'll begin to experience something that's far more expansive and greater. It's far more deeper than you've ever experienced before because you're letting go of the small life that you hold on to and you'll experience more of Jesus, more of God's love, a greater depth that he offers you. Chapter four in Song of Solomon says this: "Awake, O North Wind, and come, O South, blow upon my garden. Why you said it's not individual? Why my garden? I thought it was our garden. Blow upon my garden, that its spices may flow out. Let my beloved come to his garden and eat its pleasant fruits." See what's happened here is this. There's a deeper intimacy where everything that is mine now becomes yours. It's no longer my life. It's no longer my garden. My garden is now his garden. Do you see what I'm saying? I've let go of some of the things that I thought were important, they're no longer important, and actually, it's now his. This is an intimate moment for those who understand what we're reading here. Right, This is sexual intimacy of her garden being his garden. right? But on a relational level, when you choose to let go of your own pride, the me, myself, and I life, and you begin to realize what Jesus Christ did for you on the cross, that Jesus didn't hold on to his life, but he gave up it all. And when you understand the depth of your lover here, the beloved came for you and gave it all, then when you receive that, you begin to open up. And begin to just see more fruit from the inside out. Philippians 2 verse 1 says this. Therefore, if any of you, any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded. Having the same love, being one in spirit and one in mind. Do nothing... Out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, rather in humility, value others above yourselves. Not looking to your own interests, but of each of you to the interests of the other. Shared experience. And then he says this. This is our example, Jesus Christ. In your relationship with one another, have the same mindset of Jesus. Who, being the very nature of God did not consider equality with God something to be grasped of his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Why did Jesus do this? Because of the deep intimacy he wanted with you. Jesus was willing to share a body, flesh, that you have. Jesus was willing to put on the sin of the world even though he knew no sin. Jesus was willing to share death that he didn't need to because he wanted to know what it was to feel death and experience the things that all of us experience. He didn't have to, but he gave up his individualism, he gave up his freedom, he gave up his control so that he could experience something deeper, and that depth is you. The love that he has for you. He shared sin, he shared death, he shared it all so that he could understand how you feel. That's the God that we serve. That's the love that he showed you. He's not holding back his garden, he's saying, My garden is your garden. All you need to do is come to me, ask for forgiveness. I will forgive you, I will live in you, I will cleanse you, I will heal you from your hurt, your past as you continue to walk with me and trust me and I will make you whole. You will begin to see fruit from the inside that you've never known before if you'll trust me and believe what I say about you. You are my beloved church and I died for you. I have shared this world, I've shared the experience so that I could get intimate with you. How good is our God? How good is our God? I want us to stand. If you're happy to stand, I want you to stand. You know, relationships take work. They don't just happen. They take commitment. They take honoring of that commitment. Song of Solomon 2, verse 10 to 11 says this. My beloved spoke and said to me, rise up. My love, my fair one, and come away. For the winter is past and the rain is over and gone. I just want to say this to you this morning. I want to encourage you. Maybe you know Jesus. Maybe you've committed to Jesus. Maybe you've d- different commitments in your life that you, you're committed to. But I want to encourage you this morning. Make a commitment again to Jesus. Make a commitment to the lover of your soul that loves you more than anything and has shared this world with you. Make a commitment to say, do you know what, Jesus? I want to come away with you. Now, if somebody came up to you now and said, I want to take you away, I want to give you a holiday, what would you say? Come on, we haven't had many, have we? He says, come on, come away, I'm going to take you around the world, I want to give you a great experience, what would you say? I'll be up there, right? Well, the lover of your soul wants to take you away. He wants to say, come away with me, spend time with me. I want you to know the depth of my love. I want you to know what I've experienced. I've experienced your pain, your mourning, your suffering. I've experienced all of that, but I've also got a rejoicing that you can have in me that's available. So come away with me. So I'm gonna pray and I want you to just decide, just have a moment right now, whether you're listening online, listening here, maybe you can make a fresh commitment. Maybe you've made mistakes. Maybe you've got little foxes that are in your life today. You can just say, God, forgive me where I've made this world about me. Come into my life. I'm going to make a commitment to you today. And I believe this is what will happen. Jesus will hear you and he will respond to you and he will forgive you and he will come into your life. So Jesus, we just pray this morning. We make a commitment. Maybe you make a commitment to fresh. Maybe you're here this morning in the building. You can make a commitment today and say, I arise. I come away with you. I'm believing that the winter has passed. There is a new life for me to walk into this morning. So, Jesus, we thank you. We give you the honor. We give you the praise. We thank you for experiencing this life so that we can experience something greater in you. We give you all the praise. We give you all the honor in the mighty name of Jesus. Jesus, we love you. Help us to deal with the little foxes. Help us to go deeper into you. In Jesus' name, amen.